0: Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. And thank you for joining us. A big welcome to you, and I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Today, my good friend Trent Rogers is with us. He's back here after a a several-month absence, Trent. It's good to have you with us. We appreciate all you've done here this past week in presenting God's Word to us.
1: Thanks for having me, Bart. It's a joy to be back. Well, Trent, I've got to tell you,
0: here about a week ago, you and I were sharing a meeting. As I walked in, you and uh, the other meeting participant were there, and you were talking about preaching through Job. And, then, of course, I'm thinking, okay, I think Tim Cockrell's going to be preaching next week. How, when's Trent going to be <laughs> preaching again? Here you hit the whole thing in one fell swoop. And i got to tell you, you chewed it off pretty good.
1: Well, thanks, Bart. You know, One of the reasons I wanted to do that, I mentioned the connections that I saw between Philippians, and then our next series about God's will and our choices, but also that I haven't heard Job preached a lot, and I think it's because it gets a little unwieldy to have to work through those dialogues. So my hope was that Giving the framework, would allow people to go back and read it for themselves.
0: Yeah, and let's hit on that. You mentioned you know, Job, a really good companion to Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we've studied that for the past mm-hmm. three months or so. Share a little more specifically some of those touch points, some of those comparisons, maybe even some contrasts that you see between the two books.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest uh, things is uh, there's this kind of paradox in the book of Philippians because we know that Paul's in prison, um, so he's suffering. And he mentions to the Philippians at the end of chapter one, he says, It's been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So you've got both Paul and the Philippians who are suffering. But one of the things that most people notice uh, pretty quickly about the book of Philippians is this uh, theme of joy. So one of the most quoted verses is, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And there's just kind of a disconnect from sometimes how we think of it, that they're in the midst of suffering. And he really gives them a, a good lesson in, in how, to, how to experience suffering. Do so in humility. Think about chapter 2, having that mind uh, like Christ's. Um, contentment. I remember Tim really preaching on the idea of Christian contentment. Uh, those are great lessons to know in our suffering, in the, in the, the primacy of the gospel, and holding fast to our convictions. So as Tim preached through that, those those lessons were really lessons for us, uh, not just in our everyday lives, but also in suffering.
0: Well, Trent, when we read the story of Job, of course we have the benefit of listening in on two conversations, two different realms, the heavenly and the, and the earthly realms. Having all that access, so it doesn't necessarily answer all the questions. You referenced that in mm-hmm. your sermon. But it does remind us to think holistically about our our circumstances, whether they're circumstances that are really exciting to be in and fun to be in, or they're uh, trials that we're going through that we would just as soon not be in. It reminds me there's more to what goes on here on earth than just what we can sense with our physical Mm -hmm. senses, no matter the circumstances. Let's talk a little bit more about that, what's going on in the heavenlies. Maybe even as we speak, we, we talk about... Uh, warfare all kinds of things going on and
1: and so the the answer to that is i don't know what's going on you know so um and and, you know so as as a reader i i I sit there and i I want i want god to break in and explain it but as I, i think about that um that wouldn't be as applicable to my own life then because in the instances of acute suffering that I've experienced, God hasn't always broken in and said, now let me tell you, Trent, this is why you're suffering. Sometimes we can see things. Like sometimes uh, we can see the direct cause of our suffering, but a lot of times we can't. Think of many health situations that we experience. Sometimes, uh, you know, we suffer a health issue because of uh, foolish choices that we've made, sometimes sinful choices that we've made, but oftentimes it's inexplicable. We don't understand, and 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 that's frustrating to us, particularly American Christians who expect to go to the doctor, have an answer, and then have treatment. Uh, when there's not that uh, direct treatment, it's it's hard for us. And so, just to highlight again. We can't always reason from the, the uh, effects or the results back to the cause.
0: But we do know that there are things going on beyond us. Well, and it reminds me of the need to, or the the fact that it is very easy or it's easier to look back and see God's hand guiding. Uh, I, I liken it to the maze that might be in the newspaper or in a puzzle book. It's a lot easier for me to start at the end and go yes. back towards the beginning. <laughs> and so uh, I've gotten into over the past 30, 40 years, reading biographies, yeah. uh, church fathers, yep. as well as prominent individuals in mm-hmm. the faith. I think of a Bonhoeffer, I think of a yep. Dawson Trotman, and then not to mention, Mention the the Luthers and the Calvins mm-hmm. and so forth. Just seeing how God has worked and how he has blessed Trent Rogers and Bart Sheridan yep. and all of us as a result of those people's eyes. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, sometimes,
1: you, like you mentioned, uh, years later you start to see, okay, this might have been what God was doing. Maybe. Um, yeah. We don't always get that. <laughs> but someday it'll make sense. Someday, um, in eternity, I think we'll understand. And... Uh, uh, that's just part of our finitude um, in our current well, experience. He talks
0: about we will know even as we also are known. Yes. Very likely yeah. that's what he's talking about. So, okay, let's talk here in Job. Some key attributes of God and Satan that you mm-hmm. see specifically in the narrative of Job.
1: Yeah, so there's, you know, there's a lot we could say about God and Satan in the Bible. What are the specific things that are highlighted here uh, in, in the book of Job? You know, Satan, um, this term Satan sometimes translated uh, adversary or accuser, uh, and, and we see Satan's role and his desire is to oppose uh, the will of God. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, Satan doesn't, get that much airtime in the book of Job. It really, it's it's the first uh, couple chapters, and then he kind of disappears, and we just deal with uh, the after effect of things. Um, but he he his goal is to oppose God's goodness. Now, what does Job highlight about uh, the character of God? I think the biggest thing uh, that that is highlighted. You think especially in chapters one and two, where everything is answerable to him. and then when he speaks and, and starting in chapter 38, he emphasizes his sovereignty, that he's in control. So you know there was a, a Christian movement a while back that said, well, don't blame God for suffering. He's experiencing things in real time and with us. like he doesn't he doesn't know what tomorrow, uh, is going to happen, and well, those things. So, so don't blame God for your suffering. Don't we'll say that's an though enti- no, it's not biblical, and it's a an entirely unsatisfactory explanation for what's going on in the world. Uh, in the book of Job, it says God's in control of everything. Um, so, I think sovereignty is the biggest one. I can mention a couple more, uh, a little more quickly. That He is worthy. Um, does Job worship God for nothing? Like is God in His own right? worthy of our worship? And the answer to that is yes, most definitely. That He is righteous. Uh, would, would you put me in the wrong to justify yourself? And the answer is you can't actually put God in the wrong. He's never in the wrong. And then his goodness. Uh, even in the midst of this um, suffering that we don't understand, God is good. And I think that's highlighted at the end with restoration.
0: You referenced in that comment or those comments the idea of why do we worship God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In our uh, plenary information or plenary study materials, for getting ready for adult Bible fellowship study, we that was presented that some people worship God because of the status that he gives them. Uh, perhaps within a church context, because of the status that God gives the church by banding together and getting things done, maybe uh, political or socio political movements that start or are uh, involved in the church. Uh, maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's because I got to marry the woman I wanted to marry or whatever it might be. But are we worshiping God because he is God? Mm-hmm. That's the yep. question.
1: That's one of the central questions of Job. So, you know, I, I tried to assert that Job doesn't, answer the question necessarily of why is there suffering and evil even for the righteous if Job does answer a why question it is why is God worthy of worship and the answer is because he's God now as Christians we know he's worthy of worship as God because of his his character and because of his actions and we see that even more clearly because he sent his son to die in our place and that kind of God is worthy of our worship.
0: Amen. We also talked in Philippians, and, and we talked here just this past weekend in the Adult Bible Fellowship that Sandy and I lead. We talked about the developing a healthy biblical doctrine of, of suffering, of pain, that that's a key aspect to, to being able to deal with it mm-hmm. and understanding what the Bible says about it. Can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, I do think um, this is a, a topic especially important for our American Christian context where uh, we have industries um, devoted to pain mitigation or, or suffering elimination. And some in some ways, we have an American ideal that, um, that the chief end of man, our goal, is to be happy and prosperous and... If that's your goal, suffering has no purpose in the world. So, if 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 the, the greatest good for humanity is to be free, I mean, has the capacity to do what you want to do and to be happy, try to explain suffering in that worldview. I would suggest that's not a biblical worldview. Um, in fact, suffering is on nearly every page of the Bible in some way or another. And, You know, the Apostle Paul uh, gives us expectations for suffering in Philippians. The Apostle Peter uh, does so as well. In in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal, that is suffering, comes among you to test you, as as if something unusual were happening to you. And this is suffering, in this case, persecution. Um, But we shouldn't be surprised by suffering because we understand that this is this world is not as it should be. So I, I agree. Uh, having a certain framework for suffering and how to respond to it, it is crucial for us as Christians.
0: And I get, I'm sure you would agree. It's often those times of suffering during which we help establish that framework.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we need to have a pretty good framework there if we're going to respond well to suffering. Because yeah. it's very easy just to fly off the handle you know and get to the questions where is God? why is God doing this to me? Why me? all of these questions that's right what happened if we don't have that framework already developed?
1: Yeah and that's and that's why the message of job is is applicable to all of us because you know we ask some questions at the end you know like why do we suffer? How do we respond to suffering? what to do and you know how does God deal with suffering? Uh, one question we could have asked is is who uh, who, who suffers? Well, <laughs> the answer to that is everyone. Uh, so you might not be in a a, in a situation of extreme or acute suffering today, but sometime you will be because that's part of the fallen
0: human experience. And would it be true to say, you say everyone, I think we might even include God in that. God does not love to see his people suffer. Would that yeah. be well, uh, an appropriate statement?
1: At the very least, uh, the he Bible... Grieves emphasizes um, that we have a great high priest who suffers or suffered in our place. Um, so uh, that is um, a biblical theme
0: of the suffering of the Son of God. Um, and, and I'm thinking too as God look watches us he you know Jesus came to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he wept. Mm-hmm. Note, likely out of just a significant grief. Yep. Not only that he had had to die, or that he had died, yep. but that what that was causing his family. Yeah. That's true. Throughout our study of Philippians, Trent, Tim Cockrell and I talked at, just very briefly, but fairly regularly, about the importance of biblical lament. Okay, now you mentioned lament, and it's a discipline of the Christian life, but parts of the book here in Job, and certainly throughout Philippians, they demonstrate some really excellent examples uh, throughout their, the book. Let's talk specifically about the components of biblical lament. What is lament? What isn't lament?
1: Yep. Yeah, so um, lament is, is different than just saying, I'm really sorry about this situation. It's different than just bemoaning pain. It's different than complaining. Um, now, I, I understand how some people see how some of those things are on, on a spectrum, but it's really different because lament is actually uh, categorically different because it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith whereby we observe the hardships of this world and we turn to God in faith and express those things. So Mark Vrogop has written a decent amount on this, and one of the things he says is, "...lament is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God." So. Uh, lament is an act of faith in response to the, the hardships and suffering of
0: this world. And so what would you say are some of the key components uh, as we look at Scripture? I know there are numerous examples, David, uh, certainly Jeremiah, and, uh, and throughout Lamentations.
1: Yeah, as I was thinking about this, I I did look at an article, a Desiring God post uh, by Mark Rogop called uh, Dare to Hope in God. And he he says there are four elements of lament. Um, And I'll just state those. He says, turn to God. So it's an act of faith, right? Bring your complaint. So say, God, this is is hard. How long, O Lord? Um, Ask boldly for help. And then choose to trust. Sometimes that is stated in the Psalms as a as a declaration. Yet I'm going to trust in Him, um, and and I think that's a those are good elements to think through of, of lament. But Christians don't uh, sugarcoat the the reality of pain and suffering. We don't try to distance ourselves as if oh that doesn't touch us. No, we grieve. Um, the the hardships of the world. I mean, there's a sense in Romans 8 where all creation is groaning and in a sense of lament, longing for God's restoration of
0: all things. It's interesting how some of these laments that I have read, uh, Psalm 60 is a good example. Mm-hmm. Oh God, you've rejected us. You've broken our defenses. You've been angry or restore us. You've made the land to quake. You've torn it open, repair its breaches for it totters. But a recognition that God is there even if you're saying, you know, questions of why it's happening. But then he uh, goes back, Oh, grant us hope against the foe, in verse 11, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down. Yes. Often starting with the recognition and ending with the recognition of God, you're in control.
1: Yes, yeah, and and, uh, that's what separates it. Um, from mere complaining or from just, uh, you know, saying, oh, this is terrible, because it's an act of faith directed to God and confidence and asking him to intervene.
0: So one might ask, well, who should be lamenting? And when I think of lament, it's easy for my mind to go to somebody, well, there are these poor souls who deal with, they're always dealing with problems and Mm -hmm. they... But lament is really for everybody. Those of us who may not deal with depression or may not deal with certain things quite as much as others, it's for everybody. Would you Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do think um, everybody at some point
1: observes uh, the the terrible things in the world, and the appropriate response is lament. So um, I'm going off script here, but uh, you know, one of the things I say to my my kiddos when they um, you know, if you, you raise kids at some point, they're going to throw a fit and cry about something that doesn't matter. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, my, my, uh, my friend, Joe Harkel wrote, always used to say, he'd say, uh, there are problems in the world and this isn't one of them. <laughs> um, I've modified that a little bit because I, I, I go up to my kids and I say, you know, uh, son, there are problems in the world things that should grieve our hearts, things over which we should cry, lament, and ask God to intervene because it's unbearable. And this isn't one of them. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I do want to have that category, even in, in, I'm not trying to trivialize whatever my kids are frustrated about, but I do want them to see there are bigger issues in the world. There are issues that really should cause us to lament, our soul should be grieved, and what they're complaining about is uh, is not those things.
0: Well, and as we, you know, it doesn't take too much television or radio yeah. or the newspaper, for anybody of faith to see that the you know things aren't going the way God had intended. Now, I got to be careful when I say that I understand, yeah. but certainly God did not create our world to operate the way it's operating right now, and we should be grieving.
1: Well, and again, just to reference Romans 8 again. Like all no creation is groaning. No They're longing for the adoption of the
0: sons of God. So. Very good. Well, Trent, as we finalize and uh, put a wrap on this episode, any other final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Uh, the, the only thing would just be an encouragement to, to
0: sit down and, and read the book of
1: Job as a whole. I think it 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 rewards the careful reading through the text, but it also... Reward someone who will sit down and, and try to give a, maybe hour, hour and a half and just read through it, uh, just a discipline of, of hearing the whole. I think it would be a, a, a real, not only a stretching thing, but a, a real beneficial thing.
0: Good. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for your work again for leading us through this study.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Bart.
0: We've been digging deeper today with Trent Rogers, and you can gain access to grace sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecederville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecederville.org. And plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word. As we mentioned, next week, Tim Cockrell begins a new series examining the will of God. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning in to this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecederville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue Digging Deeper in Grace as you read God's Word.